please be seated. You know, these uh, spirituals that we just sung as a gospel hymn, I want Jesus to walk with me. And some ways are very appropriate for the sermon series we're in. We're in a series on the Psalms entitled The Songs of Jesus. And a lot of the tone and the tenor and the longing that you hear in the Psalms, I think the best reflection is some of the spirituals like the one we just heard. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 86, and uh, the title for this uh, capture are the, my thoughts is this is a psalm that's about saneness in midst anxiety. So retaining saneness amidst anxiety. There's a great Rudyard Kipling poem, If, if you can keep your head. Oh, it's got a lot of uh, conditional statements and then concludes with, if you can do all these things, then you will be a man, my son. One of the conditional statements is, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs, then you will, et cetera, et cetera, then you will be a man, my son. And this is a story, this is a, a psalm about keeping your head, keeping your head when all about you are losing theirs. And so before we turn to this passage, a word of prayer. Jesus, we pray that you would walk with us, that you would walk with us through our trials when the shades of life are falling, that you would walk with us and we would find assurance that that is true, that you do walk with us through the ups and downs and through the highs and lows of life. And so we pray that you would speak to us and reassure us of this as we turn to your word. Amen. Psalm 86. I'll make three points uh, that will, well, two points that will lead to a conclusion. The point, the first point is that uh, godlessness almost always, or I should say, godness, godlessness always results in craziness. Point number two we're going to look at is anxiety and long seasons of anxiety kind of make us think about God a little bit less, and that's going to lead to a problem and then a solution we're going to find in the psalm. So first point, godlessness always expresses itself in craziness. Uh, so just think with me. Father's Day, I bet I'm not the only father who's ever addressed their child uh, who did something wrong and said, what were you thinking? And when I ask a child, what were you thinking? I do not think that they stopped thinking. They were perfectly cogent. They were continued to think. It's just that their action didn't reflect any sort of thought. Their action cut against the way sort of life works. Uh, and it's interesting how often you and I use cognitive language to express moral failure. Just consider. Uh, a public figure may have a fall from grace and uh, they'll describe that fall from grace as what? At a lapse of judgment. Right? A lapse of judgment, that's, that's a cognitive idea. Uh, yeah, I wasn't thinking uh, to express a moral fault. Or someone does a heinous crime, and we could call that heinous crime um, a senseless act. And in a senseless act, we don't mean the actor lost their senses. They were perfectly sensible. But when we say an act was senseless, what we mean is that that action cut against the grain of the way life works. Life is meant to work a certain way, and if you don't comport yourself, if you don't adapt to the way life is, you're not thinking. Every, not all insanity is sin, but every sin is insanity. Right? Now, I want, this is kind of implicit in our passage, so uh, follow along with me. We're in Psalm 86, and look at verse, I think it's verse 14. You can find some sermon notes in your uh, back of your service leaflet as well. 
Verse 14 says, O God, the proud have risen up against me, and the company of violent men seek my life. They have not set you before their eyes. They have not set you, God, before their eyes. So that's the description of the bad guys who are out to get King David. They're described as those for whom God does not matter. God is not before their eyes. And the result of God not mattering to them, God not being before their eyes, is they have lost their marbles. They are crazy. Now, you don't see the word crazy in here, so let me explain. This word, uh, the proud, is translated as the insolent or the arrogant. And in the first translation, the Bible written in Hebrew, the first translation was into Greek, and the Greek word used for the proud or the insolent is the word paranomio. Two words, paranomio. Uh, follow along in your sermon notes. Uh, nomio, nomos, means law. Uh, not speed limits, uh, but the, the law, the way things work, the moral law, the natural law. Uh, para simply means to cut against. So, para, those who disregard God's law or, or those who have no regard for God for the law act uh, contrary to it. So think about this, the law of gravity. It says that if you drop something it's going to fall. Now if I acted contrary to that law that would be just a temporary lapse of sanity. I'm going against the law. Now listen to that word paranomos and you can hear another word uh, that is derived from that, an English word. And the word in English that we get from paranomio is paranoia. And, and um, this is not a psychiatric diagnosis whatsoever, but it is suggesting that those who go against the law, those who go against the way life is, have lost touch with reality. God made the world to work in a certain way. Drop something, it falls. Uh, God's moral law is as inflexible as the natural law. We may wish uh, that pride did not result in loneliness, but it does all the time. Prideful people are always lonely. You can wish it wasn't the case. That's the way life works. You could, we can wish that money would cure anxiety. That, that would be great. But that is not the way God made the world to work. We could wish that more listening would come from more talking, but that's not the way God made the world to work. The more you talk, the less people listen. There's a certain way the world works, and to act, act contrary to that is a temporary lapse of sanity. In the Bible, foolishness and godlessness are almost always synonymous. So Proverbs, for instance, is a great book about wisdom, and it starts by saying this, that only a fool would say in their heart there is no God. And conversely, uh, the book of Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is what? It's the fear of the Lord. It's those who set God before their eyes. So look at the contrary. Verse 14 is the bad guys who don't regard God, who have abandoned the path of wisdom. Now look at verse 11. Teach me your ways, O Lord. That's a prayer for wisdom. Help me, my life, to conform to the way life really is. Help me to respect the law of gravity. Help me to respect the moral law that you have made. 
teach me your ways, O Lord. And here is how he's going to teach. He's going to be taught God's ways. O knit my heart to you that I may fear your name. May your name matter to me. And that is not true of those who have turned against God. The wicked do not set God before their eyes. God doesn't matter. And the problem with that line of thought is God matters, period. God matters whether you want him to matter or not. His laws stick whether you want them to be that way or not. And so that's our first point. Godlessness. For those who God does not matter, the end result is always foolishness, always temporary insanity. We abandon the way life works. So teach us. Set your eyes before us. Teach us your ways. You see the connection. Godlessness always results in foolishness. Second point. Second point is this, that in periods of prolonged anxiety, I think you and I are prone to forget about God. Um, prolonged anxiety. And this is a psalm that captures someone in prolonged anxiety. Remember last Sunday I said that psalms have kind of a three-point sermon. Right, there's a, I'm in trouble, point number one, I cried to God, point number two, God help me, point number three. Most of the Psalms fall into that category. Not this one, it's a two-point sermon. I'm in trouble, I cried to God, but as of yet there's no answer. Look how the Psalm ends. The Psalm ends with the, without a resolution. Show me some token of your favor that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Right? He's still in trouble. This is a psalm written from prolonged anxiety. And the problem with being in seasons of prolonged anxiety is it sort of drowns God out. I have this silly little picture in my own mind uh, that explains how this happens to me. So we play Trivia Pursuit at my house. And you all know what the Trivia Pursuit pieces look like. It's a little uh, pie tin. And you go around, you answer questions, and fill the pie tin in. Blank stairs as Trivia Pursuit, yes? Okay, good. So playing Trivia Pursuit, on a normal day, a normal life, I feel like I have space, I have capacity, my family gets a portion of my energy, uh, you know, some slices of that pie tin, my work, uh, God gets a piece uh, of that pie tin. But the problem with anxiety and stress is like someone plops a huge piece of pie right down on top of that uh, and there's no space left and my family is neglected and my work is neglected and the one person who I shouldn't neglect God gets neglected he gets just get drowned out and there's just no space like there's an adage that uh, there's no atheists in foxholes Everyone here have heard that before? And that's talking about acute stress. That means when the bombs are falling and the soldiers jumps into the foxhole, everyone believes in God. Like I opened this sermon series talking about a sick boy in the emergency room. There's no atheists. There's no atheist parents in the ER. It just doesn't happen. Everyone believes. I don't care what God you believe in, but someone, everyone believes in a God in the ER with a sick kid. That's acute stress. However, Prolonged stress. There are plenty, there may not be atheists in the foxhole, but there are plenty of atheists in the unemployment office. Right? There are plenty of people who are just 
overcome by the anxieties of life and God doesn't matter. And friends, I think this is relevant to us because I feel like we culturally, this church in particular has been through going on two years at the electrical fire uh, to the calendar, two years of some low level anxiety. And we've been through that personally with loss and disruption. And there was an author from uh, the New York Times and he described, he said, I think the word for 2021 is the word languishing. Languishing, it's like I see through a mirror uh, dimly, like I can't see what's, I don't have energy, I can't see clearly for what's in front of me. And that's how I feel. I look at the fall and I think, boy, we need to really hit the ground running for the fall after two years of disruption. But you know what? I'm kind of tired and I don't want to really do that. And I'm not the only one. And I'm feeling the stress and the anxiety and you are too. And the one thing we don't think about or the one person we don't think about when we're under stress, when we're under prolonged anxiety is the one person we should think about. God. He just fades away. So we find ourselves on a little bit of a vicious circle. Anxiety breeds godlessness. Godlessness breeds foolishness. Foolishness brings more anxiety, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. So you find yourself on a sort of a vicious downward spiral. Which leads us to our third point, which is the inevitable conclusion. And the inevitable conclusion is that if you and I are in periods of prolonged stress, which I'm guessing you are, then you and I must be deliberate and intentional about turning our thoughts towards God. Remember the godless, what they did not do. They do not set God before their eyes. That must not be true of you and me. We must be the type of people who do that. Set God before their eyes. And the great thing about this psalm is that he begins to answer his prayer as he prays it. Let me tell you what I'm, show you what I mean. He sets God before his eyes as as he writes this psalm out. He reminds himself that God's works are wondrous. Verse 10. Your works are wondrous, O Lord. When the Bible talks about the works of the Lord, it's talking about his creative works. The heavens, the earth, the sea. The heavens declare your works, O God. Your works are wondrous. Verse, nine, uh, verse 8, your deeds are incomparable. When the Bible talks about the deeds of God, it's usually talking about the saving deeds, the saving acts. You save the Israelites from Egypt. You save them from the Red Sea. You saved us through the blood of Christ. The deeds of God are incomparable. The sovereignty of God is complete. Verse 9, all the nations you have made come and worship you. His character is good. He is long-suffering and compassionate. Verse 15, his care is personal. Verse 7, you answer me when I call to you. Do you see what he's doing? He is setting God before his eyes. Maybe you know the preacher S.M. Lockridge. Baptist preacher, preaching in the 60s. And he preached a sermon called, This is My King. And I will read just a snippet. And you're going to think, just a snippet? Yes, just a snippet. This is my king. I wonder if you know him. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's a sinner's savior, the centerpiece of civilization. He is august. He is unique. He is unparalleled. He is unprecedented. He is supreme. He is 
preeminent. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes, he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives the sinners and discharges the debtors. He delivers the captives, defends the feeble, blesses the young, serves the unfortunate, regards the aged, rewards the diligent, beautifies the meek, and he's just getting going. That's a 5,000-word sermon of which you have heard just the iceberg, or the tip of the iceberg, I should say. And the Baptist preacher, Lockridge, is doing exactly what the psalmist is doing. He is setting God before his own eyes, for the eyes, in Lockridge's uh, example, for the eyes of his congregants. Do you want to keep your head about you when all about you Do you want to keep your head when all about you, they're losing theirs? In moments of anxiety, prolonged anxiety, well, the psalm has one solution. Set your eyes upon God. Keep him before your eyes. To do anything else, you will drift into insanity. Your life will start to not mesh with reality. Two final points that we conclude. I want us to observe that this is revealed religion. When I mean revealed, I mean this is the religion that comes from God's word. S.M. Lockridge, when he talked about all those attributes of Jesus, his inexhaustibility, his augustness, he was drawing upon the Jesus that we find here in the scriptures. Uh, when the psalmist sets God before his eyes, he's setting this, the God before his eyes that we find in the Bible. Almost everything the psalmist says in Psalm 86 has been said before. He's simply quoting Bible verses. You are long-suffering, you are good, you are compassionate. He's quoting the Bible. This is revealed religion. Further, this is reflective religion. The the psalmist doesn't just say, nor does S.M. Lockridge say, look, God is good, you'll be okay. He says it again, and he says it again, and he says it again. How good is God? He is very good. How reliable? He is very reliable. He is drilling it down into the depths of his soul. It's not... We need to be biblical people. We need to be meditative people to set God before our eyes. That is how you navigate prolonged anxiety. So, throughout uh, Lockridge's sermon, he would often say, he is august, he is unique. I wonder, do you know him? So we're going to conclude in a similar fashion. The psalm teaches us that sets God before our eyes as his works are incomparable, his deeds are saving, his sovereignty is complete, his care is personal, his character is good. I wonder, do you know him? Please rise.